Positivity-wise, the Packers getting it done, getting it going in mandatory minicamp. Aaron Charles Rogers, Matt LaFleur and company, talking about the wide receivers. Sammy Watkins saying he's savoring a new start after an uncertain offseason. Uh, Alan Lazard not there. Rogers talking about how he's not worried about Lazard. But here's the thing, Rowdy, what I wanted to get to. We we're wondering who the number one is going to be in that room. Uh, you got a lot of guys that uh, we haven't really you know known too much about yet when it comes to this rookie class, obviously. Romeo Dubs turning some heads. Christian Watson turning some heads. Uh, but the veterans, like a Sammy Watkins, who I was just saying, saying he's uh, savoring a new start after an uncertain offseason. But Rogers talking about how Alan Lazard has the opportunity to be that number one wide receiver that Alan Lazard is that guy who's been doing all the dirty work and now is ready to emerge from the smoke uh, to be that number one uh, also you got yourself Randall Cobb who's got a really good connection with Aaron Rodgers they uh Rogers talking about how he's very excited about the veterans in the room, uh, but it would be one Alan Lazard being the number one wide receiver do you buy that from number 12 Rowdy and by the way good morning do you buy that Number one for Lazard. Yeah, that that's the guy I think a lot of people already had pegged as the number one coming in because Randall Cobb can't be your number one. Sammy Watkins can't be your number one. We already know what they are. Obviously, Alan Lazard is is on the rise. Those two guys are clearly in the decline towards the end of their careers. And then Christian Watson, a guy they spent their second-round pick on, we know that rookie wide receivers, for the most part, don't come in and have 100 catches or a thousand yards right <laughs> off the bat. So he's not going to be your number one. Yeah. It's pretty much saying Alan Lazard by default, you're the number one. Yeah. Uh, Aaron Rodgers right away talking about, he's excited about the return of these veteran wide receivers. Take a listen. Excited about Randall. We put a lot of football together. Excited about Sammy. Excited about Alan Lazard. I mean, he's, he's been our dirty work guy for most of his career. here. Now he's going to opportunity to be a, a number one receiver. So I'm not worried about him at all. Stepping that role. I've talked to him a lot. Uh, I know how he takes, takes care of his body and I know he'll be ready when he's here. All right. So Rogers and Lazard in constant communication. Rogers, you know, giving the sign off on how he takes care of his body. I wonder if Alan Lazard also does that uh, therapeutic vomiting and uh, diarrhea. See that Aaron Rodgers <laughs> wasn't upset that Alan Lazard wasn't there. Yeah. I, yeah, I did. And uh, again, I mean, a little bit of the clip right there saying that he has, and LaFleur said it as well, that he has no problem with him uh, knowing the offense, but yeah, Lazard, I mean, is that a concern? Uh, no. Lazard, not, yeah, same. Not a mandatory minicamp. He hasn't signed his uh, restricted tendered contract with the Packers. I, no, no one really knows why. I know his agent had talked about it. I'll have to get those comments. Uh, but Alan Lazard, not there. But can he be that number one? He's not really known as a speedster. I'll tell you that. He's a bigger guy. Blocking wide receiver. Uh Possession wide receiver. Yeah, Rogers. Talks, I think that's what he'd prefer. <laughs> sorry, bigger uh, blocker. Possession. Rogers though does talks about uh, you know we got these new crop of guys coming in from some veterans to the rookies. Rogers talks on expectations of those receivers uh, in the room. I like production over potential. Uh, we have some production. We have a lot of potential. So we need to uh, we need to temper expectations and heighten the accountability. I think that's the most important thing for those guys. There's guys who've done some things in the league, and there's guys that haven't. They're going to get opportunities. So reasonable expectations for those guys, and then high expectations and accountability for the entire room. So what did he say there, Rowdy? Production over potential. I like production over potential. He's not a prospect guy in baseball. No, he's really not. He likes production over potential. So if you got a collection of guys that no one really stands out as that number one, but you got Rodgers who is kind of, you know, finding 
different people throughout the game as the offense marches down the field to hopefully score a touchdown. That's not a bad thing. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, what what was his, I guess, he didn't really have kryptonite, but what was Rodgers' kryptonite last year? Focusing just on Devontae Adams, I think that got magnified in the playoff game against the San Francisco 49ers. He would just, what, dial in on Devontae Adams too much, and that would be his, his fault? Was that what kind of the knock was on Rodgers last year, Rowdy? That's what a lot of people complained about. Yeah. I would say that... Um... There was also a lot of drops at times from wide receivers in big situations, mm-hmm. especially in that playoff game. But yeah, overall, I would say the biggest the biggest stink that fans would put up would be Aaron Rodgers locked in on Devontae Adams too much at certain times. Yeah, that would be the one thing. And now, obviously, Devontae Adams with the Las Vegas Raiders. He is no longer with the Green Bay Packers. We'll get the comments coming up of Rodgers on Devontae. Uh, Rodgers said he was in constant communication with Devontae up until the day he was... Uh, Traded away, but now we got these new guys in here. Uh, Christian Watson, uh, him and Rodgers have been connecting, linking up a little bit during mandatory minicamp. And Romeo Dubs is the one wide receiver both Rowdy and I have been uh, high on, saying that this guy probably be a bigger rookie campaign than one Christian Watson. But with these young guys, Rodgers talks about you know what's the most important thing for these young wide receivers coming in? It's the mental side of things. Take a look. You know, as much as there's conversation around the, the importance of me being here and how much that means to the young guys, the most important thing for the young guys right now is learn the offense. And like I've said many times, there's two offenses. There's the offense on paper, then there's the offense that gets run on the field. So they need to learn the offense on paper first, and once they get that down, then we'll have plenty of time in training camp to get the other offense down. And in years past, Rowdy, what have you known about Aaron Rodgers? If he, you don't know the offense, if you aren't studying your playbook, you would be in the doghouse of one Aaron Rodgers. He would get upset with you. I, seems like a new individual, though, Rodgers, these past couple of years. Uh, every- yeah, I would say he comes off as somebody that's a little bit more understanding, a little bit more patient than in, in past years. But I also think that goes into the fact that um, when him and McCarthy were butting heads, mm-hmm. a lot of the reasons I believe that they were butting heads was the fact that the talent around them that they were working with wasn't great. No. Now, I'm not going to go out there and say that the wide receiver room right now is great, but uh, I think just the new, fresh faces, he's at least giving them a chance instead of right away saying, man, these guys stink, they can't play, they can't catch a football, they can't run a route. Yeah. Rogers, uh, he talks on just that, Rowdy. Well done about the what he expects and what the young wide receivers will know what he expects when he... Uh, is or isn't around. We got, you know, my closest buddy on the team with those guys every single day, Randall Cobb, and he's been here the entire time just about. So he's passing along everything they need to know about playing with me and expectations and signals and unspoken communication and nonverbal stuff. And they just got to feel me once, you know, we get back for training camp and it gets real. Um, There'll be expectations for him, but reasonable expectations. Okay. All right. There we go. I, I can dig it from Aaron Rodgers. He's a, not only does Rodgers set the tone when he's around, but he also has this guys around him in his camp, like a Randall Cobb, who uh, is a disciple of Aaron Rodgers. It sounds like he takes what Rodgers' message is and his expectations, and he hands it down when number twelve is not around. It's, it's got to be nice to have disciples around, Rowdy, uh, for Aaron Rodgers. The Randall Cobb, the number twelve, the Aaron Rodgers disciple. Well, Randall Cobb was an Aaron Rodgers guy. He's the one that put up a stink <laughs> so that they get him back to Green Bay. And here he is. He's back in Green Bay uh, for another year. Let's hopefully they can get a Super Bowl coming up here. Uh, Sammy Watkins. This is. Um, I mean, what would you say, Sammy Watkins, is a wild card for this team? You know, a guy that is oft injured. Um, Hopefully he doesn't have a lackluster season. Like, what is the vibe on Sammy Watkins? I think he can be good, but to me he kind of is a, is a bit of a wild card. What do you think? 
I wouldn't really say a wild card. I'd say like a known a known commodity. When he's when he's around, he's a decent wide receiver. Maybe didn't quite hit expectations that everyone thought he was going to have like early in the league. But but you kind of know what he is when he's healthy. It's just can he stay healthy? Yeah, let's see. Coming off a season in which he had uh, caught just 27 passes for 394 yards and one touchdown, that was career lows in all three categories for Sammy Watkins. Then he came uh, a calling. The Packers did. And Watkins says he changed his entire attitude, and he has a new home on a team lacking proven wide receivers. So if Sammy Watkins, who's had, you know, hell, look at what he did. He had a couple of Super Bowl catches, didn't he? Uh, did he had a some touchdown? big ones yeah. in that Super Bowl win against San Francisco. Yeah, so Sammy Watkins, no stranger to the big stage. Uh, also, Sammy Watkins, big believer in the aliens. And what do we know about Aaron Rodgers? Big believer in the aliens and stuff like that. So there could be a chance to have some rapport uh, and some connection. Uh, Rodgers, let's see, last day of mandatory minicamp, Rowdy. We still haven't gotten Rodgers thrown into that basket yet. Sadly, uh, another thing we were talking about was the offensive line as well, and are worrying about David Bakhtiari. Well, I guess David Bakhtiari has been practicing with the rehab groups, so that is a little better than what we've seen before at OTAs, where he wasn't doing anything. Aaron Rodgers talks on the status of the offensive line. Every time you look at the line during training camp, you're thinking, ah, you know, who's going to be the five? Who's going to be the ten? And then you get in the season and you got guys playing, you may not expect them to play well, and they're out there balling. So I don't really worry about that group over the years. They've been coached so well, and they've played pretty damn well over the years, too. You worrying about the offensive line, though, Rowdy, from our conversation we had a couple days ago? I'm not super worried. I'm just, The only thing is, who's going to be there? Like, I would like to know if David Bakhtiari is playing. I think the Packers would like to know, too. Yeah. But... I don't personally think that uh, Elton Jenkins will be a guy that's available week one just based on Packers medical past history. Mm -hmm. I would think they probably wait. So that means are they going to have one guy that's missing that they would hope to be on their starting offensive line? Is it going to be two guys if Bakhtiari can't play? Then obviously that changes things because I think one position that would be the biggest question mark right now on that Packers offensive line without the Bakhtiari and the Elton Jenkins, would be who's going to play right tackle. Yeah. Because there's been a lot of rumors where, oh, maybe one of the rookies will fill in at right tackle. You have a lot of tackle experience between the three that were drafted. Oh, maybe a couple of those guys that were drafted shoot inside because they uh, profile better there. Is Yosh going to be able to play right tackle? For some reason, doesn't it feel like uh, Yosh Nyman was the guy that – Played extremely well, both at left and right tackle. Then all of a sudden at the the end of the season, it was like the Packers had no confidence in him. Yeah. It was like the strangest thing ever. Yeah. Well, now you're going to have to get some confidence back. Um, I, I'm looking at a video right here, a guy, Zach Heilprin, our sports director, who was up there at uh, the start of mandatory minicamp. There is the, there's the video as David Bakhtiari is taking part in the rehab group. He wasn't out there the last two weeks, and he is with everyone there just dancing around. I see him doing a little ladder drill. So David Bakhtiari, that's a good sign. Um, it's, I'm still a little uneasy about Bakhtiari as he hasn't done much of anything for a long time. Um, if he is in the rehab group, that's that's good. But, yeah, a little concerned of that offensive line. But Aaron Rodgers, again, saying right there that they've been coached so well. Uh, doesn't have too many concerns uh, about them. And then, Rowdy, there was uh, the one I wanted to get to here, uh, the losing of Devontae Adams. Rodgers was asked about that. So Rodgers was talking about how uh, – he was in constant communication with Devontae Adams. Obviously, it's huge 
when you lose one of the best players in the game at their position, and you know, Devontae being a wide receiver that he is so good, Rodgers talks about losing Tay. I was obviously disappointed, but not going to stand in his way You know, as he pursues the next step in his career. Not going to change our friendship. And, uh, said, talk to him a bunch. I was trying to actually connect with him in Vegas when I was out there. But, yeah, I love Devontae, and I wish him – I, like, truly wish him well. You know, sometimes you say you wish people well, and he like <laughs> – I truly wish Devontae well. I love him uh, like a brother, and I appreciate everything that we accomplished together. So there you go. Rodgers wanted to link up with him when he was golfing out there in Vegas. I was thinking about this actually the other day. So if you know what you kind of have in Randall Cobb and Sammy Watkins and you kind of have your fingers crossed, Mm -hmm. you have an Alan Lazard that you think is continuing to uh, be on the come up. You have two rookie wide receivers. If you can somehow between those two – get like what 30 to 40 catches so combined have 60 to 80 catches for a thousand yards yeah those two would somewhat help cover the Devontae Adams loss because Devontae Adams was a guy that clearly was going to catch over 100 passes clearly going to have over a thousand yards unless somehow he came down with an injury but I was just trying to think of if they were trying to piece together some wide receivers if they could get Dubs and they could get Watson to have about 60 to 80 catches combined for about 1,000 yards, and that's not a ton to ask. That's, what, 35 catches, 500 yards between the two? Yeah. I think that's doable. You still have a 1,000 receiver between the, the two rookies. Yeah, and uh, I think that's what Rodgers hinted at with that, what, production over potential comment right there that we played a little earlier. Yeah, losing Devontae is huge. I mean, that's obviously I don't <laughs> – Anyone can see that. Uh, Rodgers does talk a little more, though, about you know Devontae Adams and wanting to leave Green Bay. A lot of people wanted to blame, like, well, how come Aaron Rodgers couldn't get him to stay? How come Matt LaFleur couldn't get, or Brian Gutekunst couldn't get him to stay? Devontae, uh, by all accounts and all reports, just wanted to leave. He wanted to be a Raider. That was his lifelong dream. Uh, hell, he even brought out pictures of uh, himself in a yearbook when he was in elementary school wearing a... Charles Woodson Raiders jersey. So the dude's dream was to always be a Raider. Here's more from Rodgers on Devontae wanting to leave Green Bay. I was in the conversation the entire time. Devontae and I have uh, you know, been close friends over the years, so I was in the conversations with him. We had you know, many heart-to-hearts. And ultimately, you know, he felt like he wanted to be in Las Vegas and uh, asked me to help him get there. So in the end, it was uh, you know, the only option uh, in, in his mind, and, and that's what he wanted. How would you like to be Aaron Rodgers? Devont- you're one of your best buds, your number one weapon, Ask you to help him get somewhere that isn't Green Bay and go to Las Vegas. Do you think that Devontae Adams would have asked him for help had the news and all of the media being all over Aaron Rodgers getting Randall Cobb to Green Bay? (laughs) He's like, hey, man, you facilitated Randall Cobb back to the Packers. Can you somehow facilitate a deal for me to get to Las Vegas? That you've you've had it with me? I need to be shipped out. Yeah, because aren't you the de facto GM, Rogers? I mean, you're pulling all the strings, right? Get me shipped out to Las Vegas. And tell, and just just for <laughs> craps and gigs, tell him that I want to go to Vegas. <laughs> uh, I think I got an old yearbook of me wearing a Charles Woodson jersey back in the day. I could totally sell it that I've always wanted to be with the Raiders. All you got to do is get me in the room with Gudekunst and you know say you want me gone, please, Rogers, please. I can kind of see that, Rowdy. You got to use the tools around you, don't you? <laughs> Rogers, imagine feeling that phone call. He's had to have what? Was it four fingers of tequila when they drafted Jordan Love? Rogers gets the call from his number one wide receiver. He's like, I'm going to need a whole bottle of tequila to get myself to this one, man. You want me to do what? Get rid of the best wide receiver in the game that's on my team? 
<laughs> okay. Let me just drink this bottle quick. Aaron Rodgers has a new uh, girlfriend, by all accounts here. And I am, I just can't wait for the takes. Because the news <laughs> just started came out, uh, coming out yesterday. So I don't think a lot of people um, are not on the forefront of this yet. They're just hearing about it now. And what do we know about most people in uh, the state of Wisconsin when it comes to Aaron Rodgers? They have a, or they try to have a big say of who he dates. Like, I can't believe you're dating her. Why would you date her? Oh, when he's single, he plays so much better. When he's dating someone, he stinks. Well, from Olivia Munn, am I missing someone here? Olivia Munn to Danica Patrick. Is there someone in between there? I don't think so. Olivia Munn, Danica Patrick, Shailene Woodley. Now, you might have forgot one, but it was way before uh, Olivia Munn. I just can't remember, recall what their name was. Yeah, neither can I, Rowdy. I will have to ask someone. All right, so Aaron Rodgers. News of the weird TMZ style. Oh, there was somebody between. Uh, and you know who it was? Oh, well, he was cited with her. Yeah. He's the chick from Baywatch. Ke- that's Kelly where he made, Rohrbach. Yeah, that's oh, where he made yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was his mistake. She was blonde. She was so, blonde. So then yeah, Rogers obviously loves the brunettes. And I don't blame him. I'm a big brunette guy myself. Look at my wife. God bless and America. one before Olivia Munn was Jessica Soars? Soar? Well, today. Z-O-H-R. Well, breaking news. Rogers pictured with this uh, this woman. And God bless her and him. The word hippie comes to mind. And when I say hippie, I mean hippie. Like Mercury <laughs> is mean, in retrograde. Mer- Mercury is in retrograde. We're burning sage. We're having drum circles. When Jupiter aligns with Mars. Oh, yeah. See, you're using the word hippie. I was seeing a lot of the term witch. Yeah, she is a self-described witch. Uh, a medicine woman as well. Uh, she classifies herself as a witch and a right. medicine she's, woman. She's Moon June or June. That's Moon what I, I said. She gave me squad, hard yeah. entrant, or enchantress yeah. vibes from Suicide Squad. Yep. I'm gonna go on a limb. Not the Suicide Squad. The original Suicide Squad. Totally different movies. Now, just purely for myself, my own personal opinion, this is the most attractive woman Rogers has dated. I was a, a Moon guy for a while, but now I'm looking at Blue of Earth. I'm like, yes, I dig it, dude. Her Instagram account, you can find it. Find it. It's just simply Blue of Earth. Boys, I found. I'm on her Instagram account right now. This is her playing a guitar with a bunch of people sitting in a big circle, burning sage, painting their faces. There's flowers in their hair. They're in like a big hut, and the more sage burning, and they're all. In the hippiest clothes you could ever imagine. Just sharing their spiritual journeys with one another. This is blue of earth. The universe is speaking to me, my friends. And what the universe is saying, I've never felt bigger vibes of the Green Bay Packers winning the Super Bowl this year. The chi is aligned. The ayahuasca has been drank, has supped from the cup of ayahuasca, and we are tripping balls all the way to raising Vince Lombardi's trophy. I want the disclaimer out there that he also had felt very strongly the year before and the year before that. <laughs> I feel so very, I'm going to take very, this one with a grain of salt, I which probably very, means something different to her than me. I'm sure she's got a big salt lamp, Rowdy. Uh, a lot of crystals are involved. Maybe there's some tarot cards. Uh, if you want your palm red, we could go to Blue of Earth. She, I'm not kidding. Her, this is Blue of Earth, B-L-U. She is the host of the Deja Blue podcast, 
and the co-founder of Fluorescence Earth. So what's her real name? Blue. I don't, I don't know what her real name is. Uh, I love it, though. I, I tried I tried Wikipedia in her. Does not have a Wikipedia page. Well, that now seems, that she's with Rogers, odd. Ready to, uh, we're it's, ready to it's go. Gonna, yeah, there's, there's going to be one around. I, the universe is speaking out to me. The vibes, I can feel them. For real, for real. I'm totally dead ass right now. For real, for real, the vibes are speaking to me. The Packers are winning the Super Bowl this year Just with imagined. the guidance of Blue of Earth <laughs> and Aaron Rodgers. Let's get into it. They lost to the Phillies last night 10 to nothing. Saw that. It was tough. And I seriously, I came up, I'm sitting there watching it on my laptop and it was the four, it was like right after the second home run where it made it 4 to nothing and I'm sitting there and I'm like I literally half closed the laptop and sat there and thought for a second. <laughs> <laughs> and you debated on getting a, an illegal stream of Top Gun Maverick. It was Did do you, I do I do I do I turn a movie on? <laughs> do I maybe watch some Seinfeld or do I actually go to bed? And you opted to be a, a glutton of punishment. I turned. I kept that stupid game on. Yeah, and I did see. Did, did you watch? Did you watch it all the way to the end? I did. Oh my god! So <laughs> I did I, see I a stat. Out. I'm like, I'm done with this. And this is just an embarrassing stat, but I I have to bring it up because oh. unfortunately it popped up into my feed oh, yeah, because of it. one Ben Kenny liked it. Mm. Oh. oh no! I'm sure. It so what kind of oh my god! <laughs> the. the I freaking hate this. Wow. Okay. All right. Here we go. The Philadelphia Phillies, the first guy to hit a home run, that would have been the nine-hole hitter, and his name would be, I have to look it up because I honestly don't know who he is, Bryson Stott. Bryson Stott is a 24-year-old shortstop that hasn't even had 100 at-bats in the big leagues yet. Hitting homers. Their stat was, in the month of April, this guy had four total hits. In the month of May, he had five total hits. Last night for the Phillies, just in that game, he had four hits. <laughs> oh my God, Robbie! <laughs> How uh, the well, guy went four for four last night with a home mm-hmm. run, three runs scored, and two RBIs. And that four for four in a season where he doesn't even have a hundred at bats yet. Raised his batting average to 188. Yeah, I was going to say his batting average is 188. So uh, was he near a cycle? There's got to be a double in there, or was it a home run? Bryson Stott. Two, three sticking He needed a triple. Okay. Bryson Stott, 24 years old. When I'm seeing things like that. And the only reason he's there is because Gene Segura is hurt. (laughs) (laughs) When stuff like that pops into my feed because Ben Kenny likes it. He's a Phillies fan. It makes me want to puke that I'm I'm watching the same game where this guy (laughs) is terrible hitting home runs and the Brewers are down 10 to nothing. And then you got, here's here's the lineup that came out. And I have money on it. Yeah. Yeah. And you probably, the only loss this week will because of the Brewers. I can, I can feel it. Well, Willie Adamas came back, struck out three times, but here's the lineup, Rowdy, and here's what we're going to get into. The lineup came out, and the scuttlebutt uh, was it was a buzz everywhere. Christian Yelich leadoff. It's something we had alluded to yesterday, right? Or was that Tuesday with Grant Pills? Christian Yelich leadoff. You have to move him up or down. You can't keep him at number three or on the bench. And the reason why the only reason why you say you have to move him up or down. 
But does and, he get on base? And the up is because he does get on base at a decently high clip. And even though he's been struggling in 2020, 2021, and now into 2022, his on base percentage is still quite tremendous, especially for his batting average. But real quick before we get into the lineup, oh, can yeah. we just talk about the Brewers overall since Memorial Day? Remember on Memorial Day, they, they kind of stole two yeah, two games yeah, yeah. Yeah. either way with the Cubs where hell they didn't yeah. necessarily play well, yeah. but they beat the lowly Cubs two games. Yeah, they did. Since then, they have one win. One win in eight games. They are one in A seven. Ninth inning comeback. And it's the game in which the second best closer in the NL this year had a game he could not throw a strike, and then when he did, it was right down the middle, and he puked all over the mound. <laughs> that is their one win since Memorial Day, a game they never even should have won. Yeah, it's not. And, they, and they're, they've been shut out three times. Three times in the last five games. I so Corey and Marshall messaged me last night. Hey, Corey. Goes, just tuned in. Wow, this isn't exciting. And I go, Yep, any one of us could take cuts in this game and we would look like a Brewers player because no one's hitting the baseball. It's terrible. It was awful. The Brewers they stink. Uh that right I don't know, boys, is it time to bust it out? Do we call them one or the other? The Brewers mm-hmm. or the Ewers. I did last night. I, I used That's the hashtag Booers, and I used the hashtag Ewers, and this was my reasoning. When you're going so bad, you have you are now 1-7 in, in your last eight games. You've Still been shut place. out three times in the last five games, and you can't score runs, and all of a sudden they're so bored on the broadcast, they're talking about a book that Bill Schroeder wrote like five to seven yeah. years ago. And by the way, I own the yeah, book. Rowdy has the book. Never forget. It ain't that great. It ain't that memorable. <laughs> Rowdy, you read the book at least, right? I've read it. That's why I'm saying it isn't that memorable. <laughs> What's your favorite chapter? Don't get me started. It's basically a, <laughs> it must it's, be a lot of favorite chapters. If it don't get me started. It's basically a book that he wrote <laughs> about question. his time with the Olive. Brewers from the 80s to to current day at the time. If these walls could talk. Yeah. Milwaukee Brewers like by Bill Schroeder. Little snippets from other players. Stories from the stories, Milwaukee Brewers yeah. dugout, locker room, <laughs> and press box. He's got a picture with it. Is that, did you take a picture last night? Yeah. Where's that picture hanging of uh, Brett Favre and in, in in uh, Reggie White? That's in your room? That's what's, the minister and the kid. What's What's the other picture behind it? Or is that a book? What is that? Is that old Packers in there? What is that? Yeah, it's a it's a old Paul Horning card in a... Hell yeah, dude! Look at and Rowdy's also wearing the t- Rowdy. You are packered out Tundra Talk shirt. You're very dapper looking, by the way. Yeah, the game got so bad they're talking about a book that. Rob, Rob I'm just. Wrote. I was stunned. I'm like, you have nothing else to talk about. It's been this bad. We're gonna regurgitate an average book at best. <laughs> average book at. And best. And when I say average, I'm a guy that you know. They always tell you read what you enjoy. Yeah. So I read a lot of sporting books and some other things that are not really related to that, but. Most of the books that I read for fun would be sporting books. And when I'm telling you that's an average book at best, I'm being nice. (laughs) (laughs) Goodreads gave it a 3.8 out of 5. Scribd, whatever that is, 3 out of 5. Amazon gave it a 4.6 out of 5, Rowdy. What would you give it? What would your official review be with stars or or decimal points out of 5? Three and a half. All right. Okay. It's not that great of a score. (laughs) Three three. All right, so well, three three three. Okay, okay. <laughs> I mean, that's not even not that good. That's 
That's well, bad. This is how it devolved. Well, it's out of five. It's out of five. Oh. This is how it devolved into the Brewers broadcast last night. I felt bad it was for the crew as they were just popping off on Adrian Hauser. That's what I'm saying. It's like, you think about all the stuff that they could talk about with the Milwaukee Brewers. That's what they picked. Maybe Rock needed to, he, he had a whole edition to start, like, been pumped out again. He's got some new print, and he's got to move some Listen, up the Listening to the radio broadcast and having uh, Euchre go through the struggles he's watching. <laughs> he's like, I mean, the team can hit. Uh, they have hit. They had a series where they like pumped out twenty home runs in two Four two hits. series in a row. But I'm like, I'm sitting there. I'm like, yeah, that's against the Pirates and the Reds. Four hits and then, yesterday. And then night. they're so he's talking, and then and only three he drops the he drops the and they hit for average. I was like, come on, Uke, you're lying now. This team does not hit for average. Well, also, <laughs> they're lying. If you've been following the Brewers radio broadcast on these airwaves, 96.7 FM, 1670 AM. The Zone. Bob Uecker in the last eight days might have been dipping into his liquor like he did in Major League. Oh, hell no. I, I, wouldn't blame, I wouldn't blame him. I, I can still remember leaving a Brewers-Cardinals game early my senior year of high school um, and... We're listening on the way back home, and it gets to the ninth inning, and there's like one out left for the Brewers. It is like 14 to like two or something like that. And Euchre just drops the line because they were talking about like wine. And he goes, Speaking of that, if you got a bottle with you, this is one of those ones you finish it and forget it. <laughs> <laughs> Rowdy, what was that lineup that uh, Craig Council put out last night for the Milwaukee Brewers? Christian Yelich leadoff? What'd you think of that? Again, you have to move him up or down just based. He can't sit as as your three hitter. Obviously, the rule of thumb <laughs> is the fact that your three hitter is supposed to be your best overall hitter. Hey, he went two for four last night. And then Tell what us. did he do the Tell night us. before? Tell us. <laughs> he was the three hitter last night. Yeah, but um, <laughs> yeah, he, your three hitter is supposed to be your overall best hitter. He's going to hit for power, average, everything. Well, he hasn't been that, and he hasn't been that since 2019. And he's still getting, he's still watching pitches really well. He's still working counts really well. And he's still getting on base at a really extremely high clip compared to. You know to what a, I was pumped to see? They're at least putting the pitcher at the nine hitter still. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. That was Lorenzo Cain. Oh, wait, that's Low Cain. 165. Well, anyone on the Brewers <laughs> roster that's a pitcher would bat better than Low Cain. <laughs> Well, remember, there was one thing that uh, going into this season that I said when we were talking about the new universal DH, how this would affect the Brewers. I said, I think it actually makes Craig Council a lesser manager because less strategy in the game. Yeah. Yep. It kind of puts uh, other managers that don't maybe have as much uh, tact or strategy behind them on the same level because you just throw in a hitter. Yeah. And the fact that what? four out of five of the Brewers starters from last season actually swing the bats pretty well, especially comparative to the opposing pitchers. Yeah. Well, now you like RJ said, I mean, Lorenzo Cain is swinging the bat like a Brewers pitcher. <laughs> All right. So Yelly was number one leading off. Then Willie Adamas came back batting number two. He went over three strikeouts. Oh. Uh, Rowdy Telez. And by the way, yeah. if, if uh, Willie Adamas is going to wave at pitches way outside and low off the plate, <laughs> You might as well take a freaking like stick up there, like a 
a, Ooh, a like pole. stickball stick? Yeah, a, a nice. stick or a huge pole. Broom handle? Because there's no way in hell he's ever hitting Swinging that. Swinging at those bottle caps? That's oh, how people get good. <laughs> That's Rody, how people used to get good. Rowdy Telezo's third. He had two hits last night out of the Brewers' four. Uh, and then Luis Urias was batting fourth. And then, Rowdy, here's the other question that you had. The DH, Andrew McCutcheon batting fifth. Yep. I look at the lineup, and I instantly saw two things and go, why? One, it was Andrew McCutcheon batting fifth, playing DH. It's a right-handed pitcher. We've already seen how he's struggling to hit 200 against righties, and we already knew coming in that the older Andrew McCutcheon has gotten and the farther past his prime he's been, his splits have been more exaggerated towards the I'm way more productive and better against left-handed pitching. And that's when they said he was going to come in and DH. Yet you still continue to have Keston here, a guy that you're not giving consistent at bats. And when you do, it's against left-handed pitching, and he can't freaking hit left-handed pitching. But his top five in the majors at right-handed, or is he the best? Just, just wait until next year when the shift is outlawed. Yeah, and the Brewers are going to be hitting like a. Flicking like rainstorm. Then my eyes continue to go down oh, hey, the lineup. Jace Peterson six, and then here's the other thing that Rowdy had a question on. Hunter, Hunter Renfro. Renfro is batting seventh. Hunter best, Renfro has never hitter. batted seventh in his freaking life. He and is I'm just coming off injury since T-ball. <laughs> oh, so he did. You're telling me he did well, bat he, he seventh. Didn't, he didn't come T-ball. into his own in T-ball. He, he, he needed a little bit. <laughs> he, 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 he was still why waiting is to rise. He, the T was screwing him yeah. up. Why is Jace Peterson batting ahead of Hunter Renfro on any lineup? <laughs> Ever. I don't care if Hunter Renfro had both of his legs amputated. <laughs> he would still be out there in front of Jace Peterson. What a small strike like that zone. family guy. You got to think a second baseman with at least one arm would be better. (laughs) It's like, it doesn't make any sense. You, if I was Hunter Renfro, I'd be like, I came back for this. I came back from, from a sore hamstring to bat seventh. I was the hottest hitter. And he got a hit last night, by the way. And then it was Victor Carantini, then low Kane. And I mean, low Kane's betting one (laughs) sixty five. Oh my goodness. (sighs) Rowdy, anything like, else I want to get, get your chest it. out of this I lineup? I get it. You want to go righty-lefty, righty-lefty because, you know, it used to be the thing where, hey, if you have a, a good lefty, we're going to bring him in to face your left-handed hitter and get him out, and then, you know, we're going to be able to pull him next. But you can't do that. they got to be out there for three batters, so I get they're going to want to stagger it. But at some point, give it up and just go put the best lineup together. My God. <laughs> All right. Anything else on the lineup? Jace Peterson was batting ahead of Hunter hey, Renfro. Hey, his, the Brewers next legends time he better just draw it out of a hat. Is the batting order doesn't matter? It doesn't matter where you bat. I would love to see Craig Council draw the lineup. Draw out of the, the hat. lineup out of the hat. RJ, today can you keep eyes out on the field to see if Craig reaches into a hat? They're doing it, and then he hands the the card to He's the umpire. Or, or maybe do the little league baseball approach or maybe the T-ball approach. Have every kid sit down, legs crossed, applesauce, and say, who wants to play today? Me. Right, who hasn't where, played it? Who hasn't played it? Who's not batted yet? Who, was, that, was that a caller into this show yesterday? It was like, it seems like he's doing the, the little, little league and trying to get anybody, everybody yeah, into yeah, the yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of callers, uh, line one, good morning. Who's this? That was me. Oh, no. Nathan, hello. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, that was you. Look at that. It all worked out great. Oh, <laughs> um, you know, speaking of little league, I mean, Renfro, give him a knuckle or a curve or a slider, he can hit it. Put one on a stick, and he can't. So, 
mean, that's why he batted seventh in, in T-ball. I just I don't know in T-ball he didn't come into his own yet. He was wait, he was a late bloomer in T-ball. So uh, so what is the rule? On the only the, reason on he batted team? seventh in T-ball is because they did it by alphabetical order. Ah, <laughs> uh, that makes a lot of sense. So, so how does this um, how does this DH rule work? I mean, does it have to be a pitcher that sits down, or can it be a center fielder? <laughs> You're talking okay. <laughs> I mean, at least if I'm going to have that batting average, it better make sense. Yeah. Uh, you know, I do like that Lorenzo Cain is batting ninth, though, because if anything, he does bring a bit of speed and a guy that's been a, a hitter the majority of his career that's been at the top of the lineup. I do I do think the nine hole is the correct hole for him. I mean, he's got to be more like Ricky Weeks and lead the league and hit by pitch, though. I mean, at least he's on base. <sighs> but does he get on base? So... And as far as the lineup goes, it reminds me of a softball captain I had a couple of years ago that literally the dude walked up at game time and he made the lineup based upon who he saw first. I hid on the bathroom most of the time. Okay. <laughs> Here, Nathan, I have this for you. I just looked it up. Lorenzo Kane is batting 165. Now, I know um, he has not been back up the IL yet, but when he does, maybe he could take a place as a DH and said, Brandon Woodruff's career batting average, 191. Low Kane currently betting 165. Put there you go. I think we figured it out. Found it. Woody. Well, I need mean, the bat. we kind we kind of do have a good time at you know getting pitchers that can hit. I mean, I know we don't ha- we, we we don't have a Otani, but yeah. I know, dude. I know. I'm telling you. And what I mean, is Gallardo, uh, say what you want? He could hit in his day. So. Giovanni Gallardo. How about this? Corbin Burns. He can also hit. Uh, let's see here. What's Corbin Burns? What was he batting before? His career is 169 batting for Corbin Burns. Again, low cane batting 165. Look at that. You need to get the research department on there and see how many pitchers are actually above low cane right now. Jeez. Sheesh. Nathan, anything else on your batting averages? I'd give him the No, but uh, see you tomorrow morning. You got it, brother. All right. So... just because he was one ahead of him in the lineup, like there's a lot more that I could bitch about when it comes to the lineup, but just because he was one ahead of him, Jace Peterson has seen uh, parts of seasons in major league baseball since 2014. He has 33 career home runs. Hunter Renfro last year with the Boston Red Sox hit 31. Say it again. Hunter Renfro last season with the Red Sox hit 31 home runs. Jace Peterson in his entire career dating back to 2014 has hit 33. Wow. One was batting sixth and one was batting seventh. Explain that one to me. Can you, because RJ is going to the game today. Yeah. Your seats are a little closer to the field, correct? Sure. Can you loge level? Can you kind of just make your way down there before the game and just ask Craig a couple of questions? Like and, I'll yell him. And the other yeah. thing to that is, yeah, Craig a home runs are all fine and dandy. I get that it's a lot of a home run strikeout league these days, but it's not like Jace Peterson is tearing the cover off the baseball. It's not like he's batting three hundred this year. He's hitting two twenty four. Mm. Hunter Renfro was your hottest hitter before he went down. He's batting two sixty. And he supplies the Hunter Renfro. If he's batting below fourth, should tell Craig, "I'm taking the night off." If you don't want to play me where I should be playing, Craig, I'm taking the night off. Craig. Well, the grand experiment will continue today. Yeah, like there's no reason he should be ever below fifth in this lineup. 
And when we were talking about, oh, they only had four hits last night, and two of them happened to be Rowdy Telez. And I don't even know if he put one of those baseballs on the sweet spot. I, I think the one was definitely a handle shot. There was hardly any hard contact at all. Well, let's see here, Rowdy. We got a comment from uh, Gregory Council saying, we're going through a tough stretch. We've got a lineup full of guys not feeling great at the plate right now, not swinging it well. We scored runs at a pretty good clip for a large chunk of the season, so you've got to just weather the storm. you got to stay in the fight, and you got to keep at it. It will change. We know that, Craig Council. Beating the streets in the locker room yesterday, first time in a long time. Our guy Rob Reichel, Forbes.com, Conley Media. Robbie, how did it feel to be back in the locker room in Titletown? Uh, I mean, it, it, it's wonderful. I mean, it, it's what reporters want, Evo, not not to do Zoom conferences. And, and it's interesting. I talked to a number of players yesterday, Evo, and, and they said, you know, they hated the Zoom calls. I hadn't realized this, but, you know, they, they were staring at a, at a blank computer screen and, you know, didn't, didn't know, you know, they couldn't put a, a face to a voice, for example, or certainly a media outlet and, and things like that. So, I mean, it was... It was strange and uncomfortable for them. It's um, obviously it's not what any reporter wants. You you know you 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 can't always get the whole story um, because they you know they'll they'll put a guy out there and you know they bounce around from media outlet to media outlet and and you only get one question a lot of times because everybody's got you know the certain angles and stories they're pursuing. But you know when you when you can sit with a guy for five or ten or twenty minutes in the locker room, Evo, you can. You can find out a lot of stuff and a lot and a lot of good stuff, and and I think at the end of the day, it's the readers that benefit. It's it, it's your listeners that that benefit, and me you know, personally it, I, too. I, I benefit too. Rowdy and I benefit Rowdy from it. No we question. Love it. I mean, I just I think overall, Evo, it's a great thing for uh, you know for Packer fans, and and I'm glad the NFL. I'll be honest, you know, there's there's not there's. Um, it, it was their opportunity to kind of control the message for, for the rest of time and largely cover themselves by taking full advantage of a pandemic. But kudos to the NFL for, for letting reporters back. And, and that's where we are again now, Evo. So, um, you know, I, I, I think you'll see a lot more in-depth uh, reporting and, and a lot better stories across the board on the Packers all season long. Well, especially from my guy, Rob Reichel. Hey, and Rob, I don't know if you know well, this we'll do, or not. We'll do our best, Evo. Yeah. Oh, Rob, you are the best. Rob, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, rumors is Rogers has a new girlfriend, and her name's Blue of Earth. So if you want to write a new story... Forbes.com. She's like a she's like a hippie, like a hippie on steroids. Rob. Yeah, but the normal people, Rob, call her Charlotte. Yeah, her name's Charlotte, but she goes by Blue of Earth. If you want to uh, have a little something, something, if you have some some downtime and want to dive into Rogers' relationships. All right, Robbie, Robbie. Okay, buddy. Uh, I'll send you some pictures, Rob. When it comes to a relationship you're uh, building, used uh, and Jair Alexander talking in fact you sent us an article about jair alexander do you want to tell the fine folks out there listening of what you and jair were talking about yeah you know um jair did a big media group yesterday probably 30 40 people huddled around him and i kind of grabbed him afterwards and we sat together for five ten minutes in his locker and no i mean it, it was just great stuff evo um you know I, I don't know if people remember or not you know but when when the season ended against the 49ers, he was he was back on the field for the, for the first time since week four when when he suffered that you know kind of devastating shoulder injury against Pittsburgh. He only played eight snaps that night, Ebo, in the in the divisional round against the 49ers, um, and the Packers' plan was only to insert him on what they considered to be obvious passing downs. 
But with about a minute to go in that game, Evo, it's, it's third and seven for the 49ers. You know, Green Bay goes back, uh, you know, to, to, to Nickel, and, and Alexander comes on the field. And, and what do the 49ers do? They run the football, and here comes Debo Samuel right at Jair Alexander. And the plan for Alexander all night, again, was, was only to be on the field on passing down so he could strictly cover and he would not have to tackle. And I found it really interesting, Evo. He told me he, he just could not tackle. His shoulder was not uh, recovered enough to the point where he could make a tackle. And he lowered his head. He went to the ground. He did, he did everything opposite of, of what you would do with textbook tackling. Samuel ran right past him, hit the hole, went for nine yards, and set up the Robbie Gold field goal. Everybody knows that, you know, the rest is history, 13-10 San Francisco. But what I found fascinating, Evo, was that Jair Alexander, you know, told me he just he could not make a tackle at that, at that point in time. And, and you know, and, and he said, hey, look at my coverage from that night. I wasn't going to have to make a tackle if all I was on the field for was passing down. But the Packers guessed wrong. Um, you know, uh, 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 Shanahan outwitted. Uh, Joe Barry on the on the other side, Green Bay anticipated pass. Shanahan went run with Debo, and Green Bay just didn't have the right personnel on the field when you when you consider uh, that number twenty three could not make a tackle. So I I found that fascinating, Evo, that the Packers had a player on the field, you know, in the biggest moment of the season that really could not make a tackle, and 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 that's not Alexander's fault. I mean, kudos kudos to Alexander for trying to fight through. Uh, that injury and, and play football. He wanted to be back late in the season and, and certainly for the playoffs. And, and he was good enough that night in coverage, Evo. He was just at a point where he could not make a tackle, especially against a guy 25 pounds bigger than him, like Debo Samuel. Well, Robbie, a couple things here. One, just watching that game, you could tell Jair Alexander did not want to tackle because there was a couple couple times he really didn't go and throw his body in there. Or when he did, it was like that awkward, I'm going to throw the opposite shoulder I probably should be using because this just doesn't look right and I don't want to get hurt. And the second thing to that is, do you think the Packers in general kind of sold us uh, you know, some kind of false goods where we thought we were getting Jair Alexander back. He wasn't having surgery. We thought he'd be healthy. We thought David Bakhtiari's knee would be back and we'd be getting all these boosts into the postseason. Then all of a sudden I felt like they kind of ditched some of the players that got him there for these guys. And then those guys really didn't do anything. And we're, you're kind of left with, a really forgettable ending to the season. <laughs> well, you, you, you certainly had that, didn't you, Nelly? You had the forgettable ending, you know, and, and all those guys, I think were on different timelines on, you know, on, on, on some level in it. So, so it's kind of tough to put them all in the, in the, in the same grouping there, Nelly. I mean, they did, they did get some help that night from Zadarius Smith, you know, who hadn't been back and, you know, really since that week one loss. To, to New Orleans, and he had, you remember his first play on the field, uh, he had a sack. Alexander told me had they won that game and could have gone on and played in the NFC Championship game then um, against the Rams, he, he was going to be good for about 20 snaps the next week. He really felt he was, he was on the upswing. He, he was clearly protecting himself. Um, you know, the, the shoulder wasn't right. Had, had he done more damage? You know, at, at the end of the day, Nelly, he, he was probably going to need a surgery. And, um, you know, that then we're, we're probably looking at a long rehab this, this offseason. And, 
you know, you, you probably cer- you certainly wouldn't see him right now during during OTAs and mini camps. You know, optimistically, you would have had him back for training camp or something like that. So, you know, he was smart about it. The, the real question just becomes if, if you are Green Bay at kind of that critical moment, and, and we know they had pretty good depth at, at corner with the emergence of, of Rasul Douglas and Stokes had a really good year for him, and Shandon Sullivan was still in the picture at that point in time. Could have they gotten away that game you know, and, and rested Alexander one more night or, or certainly not had him on the field. On, on let, Let's be honest. I mean, San Francisco loves to run the football. And, then, and, you know, on a third and seven like that, they were at the 38. They only needed four or five yards to get into field goal range. You know, you, so so the question becomes, you know, did, did Joe Barry, is, you know, is Joe Barry the guy here who, you know, really made the mistake by having Alexander on the field? Because you're not going to blame the player there. The player certainly, uh, you know, did his part to work his way back and then was, was told to go on the field at a critical point in time. So, no, you're, you're right, Nelly. You, you, you maybe thought you were going to get more help at the end of the year from, from Bakhtiari and Alexander and, and some other guys along the way. But, you know, Bakhtiari, I think, remains a mystery to all of us, and then we'll see how things look in training camp. Jair's fully healthy. He's, he's been a full participant in, you know, in the, in the mandatory mini camp this week, and, and I think he's poised for a great year. Robbie, I just had one other question, and it revolves around one particular player. I feel like just from what the Packers have done and said in the last year plus, it's like we watched that Yosh Neiman Nyman play, and he plays pretty well, but they it's almost like they don't have much faith in him, even though he's looked pretty good at both left and right tackle. Well, I, I don't know if that's the case because he has been repping at left tackle, you know, through a lot of this offseason stuff. Nelly and you know again we'll, we'll really see how they feel about him when we get to training camp and um, you know they, they should be relatively healthy pretty close to it if 69 is is back on the field when we get to training camp um, I, I talked to him a long time yesterday and uh, Nelly and, and and you know he he himself isn't sure where he fits into the picture. It, it's it's going to be a really interesting training camp. You know, they, they lost the three offensive linemen, um, you know, from a year ago, and then, and then they replaced them with, with three more in the, in the draft. Um, you, you would anticipate Bakhtiari should be ready for week one. If he's not, guys, it, it, it's going to be just a, a colossal uh, disaster over there, I, I think, in terms of this whole recovery process. And, and, and that's going to send some things off the rails a little bit. But let's work under the assumption that 20 months after he, he tears his ACL, Bakhtiari should be ready for week one. We'll, we'll see on Elton Jenkins. You know, Yash did play awfully well. You're exactly right last year, Nelly. And, and I think he's the perfect swing guy uh, at, at, at backup right and left tackle. And he can play right tackle. Uh, you know, as, as you wait for Elton Jenkins to come back at this point in time, Nelly. Um, but but it, it, it's a critical training camp for him, guys, because uh, they are deep again on the offensive line, you know, especially after investing a third and a fourth and, and three overall picks on, on, on the line again in, in this draft. They, they, they should get their best two linemen back, you know, at some point this season in, in Bakhtiari and, and Jenkins. And, and, and where Yash fits into that whole mix, guys, I, I think we'll see. But, but you guys know as well as anybody, it's, it's tough to find tackles in that league. And, and, and if Yash is, is, is your swing tackle, I, I think you're in really, really good shape. Rob Reichel joining us right now, Forbes.com, Conley <laughs> Media. Robbie, uh, well, you know, something else that everyone wants to know is, 
what's that wide receiver room looking like? You know, Alan Lazard's not there. He hadn't signed his contract. You had Sammy Watkins, a great unknown. Anything uh, sticking out when it comes to training or a mini camp here with these uh, rookie wide receivers or some of the new guys on the block? Yeah, I mean, I mean, great question. I, you know, I, I think the rookies are everything you would have you would have imagined and more. And, and again, there, there's no pads right now at yeah. this time. A lot, a lot of things change, guys. When the pads go on, a lot, a lot of guys look great in you know in, in t-shirts and underwear. As, as, as the underwear Olympics, a lot of times people call it this time of year. And 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 there's a lot of guys that shine, and, and then they put on. You know, they put on the pads and the helmets and, and they take a few shots and boy, they're, they're not quite the same player that, that you thought they were in May or June. It happens every single summer. But, but I, I, again, uh, Evo, I, I, I do think there's a ton of upside and a potential with, you know, e- even all the way down to the seventh round pick, you know, Samari Turi, who's, who, who, who's had a really good, uh, you know, start to his career in Green Bay. Romeo Dubs is, has impressed. Christian Watson looks the part. Um, Guys, it, it, let, let's be honest. It, it, at the end of the day, it's not going to be a, a stellar wide receiver room. If, if that group plays to a level where you're talking about them in the middle of the pack among wide receiver groups, I, I think you're going to be pretty happy, Evo, because the rest of that roster is, is really stacked You know, across the board. You've got a two-time MVP quarterback, probably a top-ten offensive line, a top-five group of running backs, and the defense should be outstanding. I mean, the biggest question undoubtedly on the roster is, is the wide receiver room and the wide receiver group. And, and guys, if, 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 if that group can even, you know, play, like I said, middle of the pack level of, of football, it's like we talked about all last year, if the special teams could just get to the middle of the pack, you know, they're, they're probably going to go to the Super Bowl or, or certainly have really? a great chance to do it. And, 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 and it never did. And it cost them, you know, in the, in the divisional playoffs. But I mean, there, there's a lot of questions, a lot of unknowns. Um, and, and there's a lot of guys, evil really fighting, for those snaps and, and, and it's going to be fascinating to watch Sammy Watkins talked a long time yesterday about his back against the wall, trying to, trying to salvage his career. We know about the rookies. You mentioned Lazard isn't there. Rogers referred to him the other day as the new number one. I mm-hmm. mean, which, which caught me off guard. You know, we all know about Cobb. Amari Rogers is in better shape. You know, but, but let's pounds. see what he does again when when the pads go on. I mean, a guy nobody's talking about, Evo, is is Jawan Winfrey, who's who's going to have a chance, I think, to to steal some snaps here along the way. So there's a lot of bodies in contention, and training camp's going to be absolutely fascinating to see how how some of this stuff plays out. Because at the end of the day, there's going to be three of these guys that get significantly more snaps than everybody else. And and right now, Evo, I mean, I you you could grab a dart and shoot it at a board and then whatever picture you hit uh, out of those eight or nine wide receivers I just mentioned, you could make a case for all of those guys getting significant playing time this season. Robbie, if we know exactly what we have in a healthy Randall Cobb and a healthy Sammy Watkins, and then obviously Alan Lazard still on kind of an upswing. But if you think that the green Bay Packers could get 60 to 80 catches between Christian Watson and Romeo dubs for close to a thousand yards, you think you would take that and you think that would be good enough? Oh, yeah. No, if they get any oh, yeah. catches out of those two guys, I, I think they'll be happy. You know, uh, Nelly, I, I did a story, I don't know, maybe a month ago where, where I looked at the last, you know, five wide receivers they took in, in the second round uh, range. And, and I, I included a third, I think, in James Jones. But, you know, you're talking, 
you're talking Randall Cobb back at, you know back in eleven. You're talking Jordy and and, and Greg Jennings um, and Devonte Adams, and then like I mentioned, James Jones. And I I think those five guys together, Nelly, they averaged about thirty catches, four hundred yards, and two touchdowns uh, in their rookie season. And we all know. All five of those guys turned into outstanding players. I mean, Devontae was going to set every pat, every receiving record, I think, in Green Bay in the, in the hundred year history of this franchise before, you know, he asked out. We know how good Greg Jennings was, a, a three time Pro Bowler as a Packer. Jordy was as good as it got for, for a stretch of time there. There was a year where James Jones led the, the, the league in touchdown catches. And then Randall Cobbs, you know, on, on year 12, guys. And, and, and he was, in, you know, during his prime, he's one of the best slot guys in the league. So, no, I mean, Nelly, if, if they get 80 catches, 1,000 yards, and let's say six touchdowns uh, out of those two guys, when, when you talk about the, the, other, the other potential uh, on that roster, you know, Sammy Watkins has, has a lot to prove. Well, you know, if, if Cobb stays healthy, he can probably catch 45 or, or 50 balls. They'll need Tunyon to come back. Um, Otherwise, I'm not sold on that tight end position, you know, no matter what they're trying to sell us at various times about about some of these other guys. And, and then, you know, Nelly, I think the great unknown um, is going to be how many how many catches these two running backs get. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me at all if those two combined for, let's say, you know, 125 to 150 receptions. I could see Aaron Jones catching 75 balls and, and Dylan catching 50 or 60 guys. I, I really could. Uh, they're going to be a huge part of the passing game. So I, I think when it's all said and done, the ball's going to be spread out in, in a ton of places. You, you know, you won't see 170 targets this year to one guy like you did last year with Devontae Adams and, and one guy having 120 receptions. It wouldn't shock me at all, guys, if, if their leading receiver had about 65, 70 catches, and it could easily be a running back. Robbie? Man, I love your Packers coverage, man. More at Forbes.com, crushing at Conley Media. Before I let you go, Robbie, I have to ask, any words of advice for Craig Council and the Milwaukee Brewers before you get out of here, as they've lost five in a row now? Take two weeks off and then quit. (laughs) Yeah, but here's the the thing, Robbie. They've already taken a week off, so technically your advice should be take one more week off, then quit. Rowdy bet on him yesterday. You guys know my stance, and I I haven't wavered from it in three or four years. He's just not the guy to get you over the hump. Mm. Nice Mm. guy. Nice guy. Nice guy. Very likable. He holds all these Brewer records now, which, let's be honest, it's not hard to do. It's not an overly successful franchise. They've won 44% of their games since they showed up here 50 years ago. So so it's not like they're winning at a real high clip. I, I, I Guys, I'm, I'm not even joking there. I would not mind a shakeup. I think this group needs it. I think they're fat cats. I think they're content. And I, I think they need a shakeup. And and, and, and I, know, I know it's not going to happen, and it obviously wouldn't be popular. He's a Whitefish Bay guy, in case you didn't know. Oh, yeah. Kind of like... Uh, Kind of like Ferguson was Barry's grandson, um, but uh, no, I, I I would have no issues whatsoever if, if they shook things up just like Philadelphia did uh, about a week ago. A lot of times that has some really good results. Robbie, it's a lot easier to win a lot of games when you have a good general manager and arguably the best in Brewers history, and, and arguably the best pitching staff in the league. Right, Robbie, you're the best. That's why we have you on. We love you, buddy. Rob Rushel <laughs> on Twitter, Conley Media, Forbes.com. Robbie, we love you. Have a great weekend, my friend. All right, guys, you too. Enjoy the nice summer weather we got. You too, Robbie. See you. There he is. No stranger to a hot take. Our guy, Rob Rush.
Well done for your uh, Philadelphia Phillies, by the way. Thank you. Good baseball game last the, night. Looks like the Ben Kenny series goes in the honor of Ben Kenny, as the Brewers are hoping not to get swept today. I mean, listen, some some out there in the world rolled their eyes at how much I despise Joe Girardi. Since he has been fired, the team has literally not lost. Yeah, 5-0. and oh. How about that? Case rested. Brewers 0-5 in this little skid right ben, here. Ben, do you have plans for 110 today? I Other than sitting here? Sitting here. And working. I actually, so normally like when I go home, I don't really have plans. Like I know what I'm doing most of the time later in the day. Like if I have like, I'm going to go do this or I'm going to do that today. I actually know what I'm doing this afternoon. 110 first pitch Brewers Phillies. I will officially put my head on the pillow at 110 and say, I'll see you for dinner. Snapping, napping. Well, nap. I ain't got time. Well, after the nap bums. for the Brewers, I don't blame you. The offense right now is unbelievably boring. Did four hits, and two of those were from Rowdy Torres. Horrible. If your name was Hunter Renfro, and you've had the career that Hunter Renfro has had, and you were arguably the hottest hitter the Milwaukee Brewers has had, and you came back and they say, "Well, here's the lineup. It's posted. See where you're hitting today," and you came in seventh. <laughs> Yeah. What are you thinking? That's something. <laughs> I will say this. <laughs> That's something. This sounds crazy, but I talked about it last year. Moving Yelich to leadoff is progress from where we've been. It was a lot of progress. They scored whole zero runs. Uh, I know, did have, I, he did have a hit. Yeah, it, it was a it was a good hit, but he still looks kind of lost. I mean, I'd rather him hit leadoff than hit third. You know I guess who that's looks a lost? Positive. Andrew McCutcheon since COVID. Is just god awful. He and had that one yeah. walk off. He had that one hit that one time like five games ago yeah. in that one game that yeah. they've won Against since the Memorial. Yeah. yeah. But yet he's continuing to play every day and DH and he's in the middle of the lineup. I don't get it. I, I And this is where I'm going with this. So we talked a lot yesterday of who's better for the Milwaukee Brewers, who has done more. Why is this team winning? Is it David Stearns, the GM, or is it Craig Council, the manager? And I was a little tough on Craig Council. I'm always tough on Craig Council. You're toughest on people you expect the most from. <laughs> tough love. Now, I say that with coming from a different angle. Some people say you just hate the Brewers. Coming at a different angle today. Is there too much front office in the game of baseball now? Is there too much analytics or is the front office getting too much into the game of baseball on the field? Some I remember some conspiracy Seth theory. Everett. He's been on Bill's show yeah. many times. He's he worked for Major League Baseball. Yep, yep. He's been around. He's done interviews. He all was over. once friends with Rob he Manfred. Was, he was one of the guys that came out and said a lot of managers today, Craig Council in general, are puppets. Yeah, and yeah. they are told what to do by the book or whatever the front office has to do. So yesterday we gave David Stearns a lot of the uh, or the majority of the success when it came to those two. But if it is true that the front office has their hands in all of this, where they're actually calling the game or making most of the decisions, do we not also have to say when we look at lineups like this or when we look at some of the decisions that are made, this is also your fault to why this went so poorly? I mean, he's part, he's the architect of said team. And now some people will say, oh, well, you know, the manager still has the lineup card and, and yada, yada, yada. But if you do watch Moneyball and you read books or listen to some of the things that were said, there was clearly a time where the manager at the time wanted to do different things. And Billy Bean 
said, no, we're doing it this way. And if you continue to do it this way, I'll just get rid of the players that you want to play. Mm-hmm. We're going to do it my way or the highway. I don't know exactly how that relationship is with the Brewers and David Stearns and Craig Council, but if it is kind of the robot manager like some people are claiming or that the front office and analytics have officially taken over, kind of like how uh, Joe Madden was complaining after being fired where it's too much analytics and they control everything. Yeah, now. yeah. May, have I been too tough on Craig Council? Do I have to point the finger at David Stearns, the man I just voted for yesterday <laughs> that the, has the more to do with winning? I think you're just right now, Rowdy, is called displaced anger. You want, you're want you angry at the world, at the Brewers, and you want to be specifically mad at someone. You want to point the finger and say, you're the reason why. Have you ever thought about blaming the players? Well, it's easy to blame the players. Like when you look at the when you look at this team in general, you go, "All right, I had a catcher in Omar Narvaez that has had two really good hitting seasons and last year was an all-star, but there were a lot of seasons other than that where there's a lot more to be desired. Mm-hmm. He wasn't the greatest player. Victor Carantini is currently the backup and he's so-so, he's the backup. He is what he is. First base you would say Rowdy Telez. He's a guy that couldn't break into the lineup in Toronto, even though they had a lot of young studs ahead of him. Average player. Mm-hmm. Colton Wong is having a terrible year, both offensively and defensively. And finally, once he started to swing the bat, he goes out with a calf injury. Your shortstop in William Adamas is not hitting for average, and he's missed quite a bit of time. Your starting third baseman that you thought going into the season would be Luis Arias missed an entire month and he's been cold the last two weeks. You're playing Jace Peterson and Mike Brasso way more than you ever thought you would. Uh, Your outfield is a guy that you thought was going to be a longtime all-star and potential MVP candidate because he already is an MVP and he nearly won two in a row. He's been terrible. Lorenzo Cain has been even worse. Hunter Renfro was on the shelf. Lorenzo Cain's so bad that Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff have a better batting average than him. Andrew Andrew McCutcheon is struggling, and he's been god-awful since getting COVID. He's only getting older. And then, weirdly enough, you continue to play some of these guys. Well, can I give you some good news? They're first place in the NL Central, 33-25. and 25. I thought you were going to say, hold on to Monday. They have another day off. First place in the NL Central. 33 and 25. Well, it's like I'm looking at where can you and really the Cardinals go lose again last night? We had people in May when they were actually playing good baseball talking about or calling into these airwaves, whether it be our show or Bill's show, saying they already need to go get a bat. Mm. And I, I wasn't one of those people that's like, all right, just because it looks like you need a bat now, don't need to go get it in May. Let's see where we're at in late June or July. But you look at the roster and you're looking at places where you're going to upgrade and where you can clearly upgrade. I think the infield, you're probably pretty set. But you look at that outfield and you go, Lorenzo Kane, that ain't it. <laughs> yeah, he ain't it. Christian Yelich, gotta hit you got to do more for me than what you're doing so far this year. I can't just have you play good in a, in a couple weeks spurts. How, here, I have a question for you. How does your heart last a whole baseball season, Rowdy. The, the time, out of all the times I've known you, I'm surprised that every year when a baseball season ends that you're still alive. Like your heart hasn't exploded or your blood pressure hasn't gone through the roof that your, your, your head exploded off your body. 
How do you survive a baseball? Just a season? machine. <laughs> but yeah, but just like, a machine. you look at look at what other teams do when they had their outfields or you know certain spots. Do you ever take a step back and look apart. at it? Like I know you're looking at it as a big picture for you know moving forward. But do you ever step back and be like, it's a long season. There's ebbs and flows of a season, and right now they're just in a little a you, little. You can lull. say that. You can say that. But then there's other times where it's games. You clearly just go win the game, and they figure out ways to lose said game. Do you think the Brewers are still gonna? Uh, win the NL Central and be in the playoffs? I think it's going to be a lot closer than people think because right now a lot of people think, well, the Brewers haven't been healthy. They haven't been hitting. Boom. You know, they'll they'll get healthy and everything will roll. But those are the same people that they only follow the Brewers, right? They're, they're only a half game ahead of the Cardinals. The Cardinals have had a ton of injuries too. Their best pitcher hasn't pitched yet. Mm-hmm. Jack Flaherty is expected back probably late June or July. They've had injuries in their bullpen. They've had injuries in their starting lineup. They're, they've arguably played a tougher schedule so far. Now, well, the Brewers just got back Willie Adamas, Hunter Renfro, Brandon Woods is going to be coming back. Freddie Peralta will be eventually be back. I mean, they've gone injuries too, and they're still in first place. That's what I'm saying. But you could say the Cardinals have played a tougher schedule. You could say that the Brewers have, have played more games Brewers on the Brewers just road. went 18 games in 17 days and went 9-9, nine and nine, 500. That's why I don't think they're just going to run away with it. No, I'm not saying it's... I don't think anyone said they're going to run away from the Cardinals. I think the Cardinals are going to be the biggest threat, I think threat, people obviously. expect them to all of a sudden get healthy, and they're just going to go, and they're going to leave the Cardinals what, way behind. From what it sounds like to me, you expect the Cardinals to get healthy and all of a sudden run away with it. I didn't say that. Well, it's kind of the vibe, I guess. I think it's saying. going to be an extremely close race, and I don't know if I want to say... So if the Cardinals can do it, why can't the Brewers get healthier and, and not run away with it, but still keep pace and win the NL Central? Because the Cardinals have an MVP candidate, if not the front runner, and another high level all star bat. Yeah, but I'm saying he's going doomsday Brewers. Why can't you go positive for the Brewers too? No, I I agree with. I mean, I think I agree with both of you. I'm somewhere in the middle. Well, yeah, I mean, that's where it is. Well, I didn't in the say middle. that they weren't going to win it. I'm just saying I think this is going to be a close race. I don't think there's a clear cut favorite right now. I, I think these teams are actually yeah, with where they're yeah. at pretty even. And that was where, when everyone was coming out with the win totals. I'm saying it's a long, they're going to get healthier, the Brewers. I came out with the Brewers around 90, and I would have had the the Cardinals around 88. That was that was the prediction that I had when we came on. And we had a lot of Brewer fans say 93, 100. I think, didn't someone say 104? Yeah. <laughs> like, so. that was a little high, but. I mean, it's not all doom and gloom. I mean, life isn't all just one way. It was somewhere in the middle, as Ben said. They need to figure out that outfield. The outfield. It, Colton Wong will come back, and he's got to he's got to play better. Willie Adamas, you would think, rises to the occasion. Same with Luis Arias. You're going to get what you have at first base. You're going to get what you have at catcher. It's the freaking outfield. And Hunter Renfro, I know that that was a huge hit, him going down. But there's three positions in the outfield. When the Braves lost Ronald Acuna Jr., who was an MVP candidate last year, when they lost. Um, multiple players in that outfield. You know what they went out and did? They went out and got Jock Peterson. Yeah. They went out and got Eddie Rosario. I don't think Brewers are going to be They went out like and that. got Jorge Soler. They went out and, and won a World Series. Mm-hmm. Now, are, are the Brewers content to just sit there and say, well, you know, these guys are going to be pretty good. We'll win the division and we will make the playoffs. Maybe we'll win the divisional round and play in the NLCS. Maybe we won't, but we're content to play in the playoffs. I kind of feel like that's where Mark Ananasio likes to be. Okay, I got you. Right. Because when he starts talking about free agents and not spending money, but then there's a free agent that caught my eye and I had to have him and I was going to pay some more money for him. And that free agent is old Andrew McCutcheon. I raise my eye and say, Mark Ananasio, get the hell away from the front office. <laughs> 
All right, Roddy, for every, because we got the Miracle League coming up here of Dane County, for every negative that you do for the Brewers, I'd like you to find just one positive. If, if you can do that for me, because you got a list of negatives that's a mile long. Well, I, I, I don't you, think you have a single positive. I think it's a close race. I would say they're slight favorites to still win the division at this point, all if I, everyone gets healthy from both teams. All I ask is for the sake of your well-being, every negative that you do when your list is done by the end of the night, because I know it's a lot, just find one positive in what you're looking at. Just try to find one. That's it. I think you said, like, you've talked about how the Terminator, you can't, you can't like, kill him. He just keeps coming. Yeah. He keeps coming. Yeah. There are some people that you just can't. I'm like one of them. They just keep coming, popping up every single day, even though. Uh, yeah. Oh, I asked you the question on uh, what makes you happy in life. I think I asked you that a couple of weeks ago, and you brought it up a few times. I, I'm still trying to search that for you personally. Like, what makes you happy in Winning. life? Winning. I don't know if it's that. I think it's. I think what makes you happy in life is being mad, being negative. I want you to flip that. I want winning. A, I want a positive in your life, Rowdy. Line two. Good morning. Who's this? This is the person who's going to get Rowdy oh. excited. Pipeline the, from the North calling. Pipeline of the North, Troy. What's up, dude? Um, new name for the show: Disrange Frustration with Rowdy. <laughs> that could be a segment. How about? <laughs> <laughs> hey. You know, that's why I asked him to find at least one positive thing. It's always negative. Yeah. I want one positive. Huh. I swear I was put on hold for like 15 minutes there waiting to get on because Rowdy was on a roll. I like it. Um, just I, I, two, the, two things that I want to throw at you guys today. Yeah. The first first one involves, let's go with the Brewers. Um, I have a, you, you brought up something about the uh, analytical whatever. And I have a family friend who works for the Brewers under David Stearns. And I've had the discussion with him several times because I just go around and around with the no bunt attitude with counsel. And especially when you get into extra innings, when you got a guy at second and this is like the bottom of the 10th and they didn't score in the top, you've got to bunt him to third. Well, he tells me, nope, nope, nope. The, the numbers all say hit away, hit away. And that just, I, I don't buy that. And I, I get real frustrated with that. So I kind of support Hey, what did, what did, um, who bunted? The other night, Rowdy, two nights ago. Well, see, the teams that have actually given the, the Brewers more problems defensively is some of the teams like the Washington Nationals or the Padres that have made their defense have to make plays by putting the ball in play and a few sure. bunts here and there. But, yeah, right. I mean, guys, they. I think it was Bill Michaels had Tyrone Taylor on yesterday. And Tyrone Taylor, he was asked if they work on bunting and he kind of gave like a, uh, yeah, we kind of do once in a while, but the real, the real thing is no, they really don't practice it that much. And see, then when you have to bunt, which doesn't necessarily mean they're going to, but when you're, I remember in the playoffs last year, when every, seems like every pitch is critical when you have to bunt, they struggle with it. So, you mean you kind of. I'm just not going to let that go away with we're playing long ball, but it kind of goes with that analytical, you know, just play for the long ball, play for the long ball. Kind of like Greg Gard when his boys are shooting 10% from the three-point line, we're just going to keep on throwing them up. I think that's they're missing out on that because you've got to be able to adjust as the game goes on. And who, The analytic nerds are laughing Troy, and rolling their eyes at you right we, now. Troy. We had Vernon from the Mallards, and he's talking about – and and this is just in general, you're finding more and more kids and guys that can throw 95 plus. And that's the new thing. It's like, come in, throw as hard as you can for as long as you can. Then we'll find the next guy. Well, they're sure. talking about now you can find kids that are pitching at whitewater that throw 98. And 
that's why I, when you have some of the beat writers or other people say, well, you can't bunt anymore because these guys' stuff is crazy good and everyone's throwing 98 yeah, right. and the only way you'd ever be able to bunt is if you did it from your belly. Well, right. I watch Korean baseball, especially in the pandemic because nothing else was going on. You can watch Japanese baseball and if everybody is throwing that hard, they're also throwing that hard in Korea and Japan, yet they right. have all-star game competitions where these guys are amazing bunters. Now, I'm not, again, no one's calling for everyone to bunt every single time some dude's on second. But again, like you said, if you already had Hater mow him down in the 10th and you're in the the bottom here and you just got to get that one run, give me one out and a guy on third to have a professional hitter score the run. Right. You know, there there used to be, this is before your guys' time, but there was a first baseman, like, first base coach for the Brewers. I don't remember what his name was. Just a big guy. I think he's actually from Ashwaubenon or Green Bay. And he was a huge guy. And he said, he played Major League Baseball, and he said that the way hitters get out of slumps is to take extra bunting practice and do it in a game because it requires you to watch the ball that much closer. Hell yeah. so I, always thought that, I always thought that was kind of interesting. And oh, ben ben is just wanna... beside himself in the other room right now. He is just, Come on. He is just rolling eyes. Ben, hey. actually, real quick, Troy. I want to bring Ben in here, but I want to keep you on. Ben, when you were hey, a kid... Hey, did... his, his name was Howard. His, the, the, I forget what his first first name is. but Howard. It's Howard. He was a big giant. I'm sorry, Roddy. Oh, no, Ben, when you were a kid, did you play Pepper? Yeah, we did. Troy, did you play Pepper? Yeah. Ben, you better say yeah, otherwise you didn't play a ball the right no, way. I played Pepper. I guarantee we did you... play Pepper, but guess what? We also couldn't really hit well because we were 12. I guarantee you, if well, you, you went and looked at little kids playing baseball now, I bet there's hardly any Pepper games. I mean, that actually right. helped you bunt, and it helped yeah. you bunt bad pitches. Right. right. Hey, the second thing I want to hit you guys up on just real quickly is the, the Live Golf Tour thing because you just brought up that breaking news that I got to. And, and uh, my son is over in Scotland right now with a He's in the golf industry, and he he's going to give me some good information on what's going on at this tournament that's that's Sick. opening round. Can we today. interview him? Yeah, but I, the time frame right oh, now yeah. is really auto whack. But he said it's going to get really interesting. Uh, what's going to happen? I see they suspended some guys, but I think it's really, really going to be interesting to see how the PGA handles it because they're. I mean, yeah. they're, they're they're trying to make a statement now, but uh, it's. It's, you know, guys are just falling off the side now. I was really surprised yesterday when, you know, Dustin, Bryson, Patrick Reed, and it's like, holy cow, yep. now we're talking some pretty big guys. So it'll be interesting to keep it up. And uh, if I get any scoop on it, I'll give you guys you a scoop it. on it. Troy, Frank Howard was the coach. And two, yep. would your son leave uh, writing about PGA for a little bit more money to write about the live? <laughs> well, <laughs> who knows? 